0: Hello and welcome back to Interstate, the Sunflower State's Recruiting Podcast. My name is Michael Swain, the Kansas beat writer for 24-7 Sports. I'm joined again today by the same crew we had, I think it was probably two weeks ago. We've got Ryan Wallace, who covers recruiting for our Kansas State website, gopowercat.com, and I'm also joined by Kevin Flaherty, who does a lot more national coverage in addition to working with the rankings folks for the sunflower state the today we're going to talk about the 2025 class it's widely considered a pretty strong class and we're a year away from when the recruiting for those players is really going to heat up we'll focus on them today and i know for at least ryan and i we've been focused on 2024s right now but i'm excited to talk some 2025s to start with you ryan just how have things been going with you since we talked what was it two weeks ago
1: yeah i mean i i I think I pronounced the last episode that it was the beginning of silly season this month. And what's weird is um, in a class that I think Kansas state expects, and and we all expect now to be uh, relatively small, comparatively speaking. um, I did some digging around on kind of, I did a a story on the science of official visits and Mm -hmm. how calculated you have to be about when you're scheduling certain guys and all this. But I uncovered this weird fact that K state other than Houston Um, is the only like big 12 school that didn't entertain any visitors the first weekend. (laughs) So um, that was weird, but as as the big returning big 12 champs, but they've rebounded last week, uh, hosted Grant bricks. And then uh, this weekend, obviously uh, a whole host of, I think it's seven players, three commits and four highly prioritized non- commits. So Mm -hmm. it, it becomes silly now. Swain. I, 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 I got a slow kind of, you know, entry into June and now it's going to pick up.
0: No, I got tossed right in the water right from the get go. <laughs> June, It's been, it's been wild. It's been crazy. You know, you mentioned seven being a, a big weekend for K state. Seven's a small weekend for KU. That's what they've got oh. coming in at least expected right now. And I'm interested to see how it plays out. And obviously Kevin, you and I were out at KU camp last Wednesday, recording yep. this on Wednesday night um, I just saw you last week, but how have things been going since then?
2: Ah, uh, they've been going pretty well. You know, we got uh, a pretty quick initiation into silly season, and mm-hmm. if you look at uh, at some of the podcasts that we've done talking about Kansas's class and the things that have gone on in June. You know, it it wasn't that many, but it felt like about twenty kids visited that that first weekend. What was it? I think twelve or or fifteen or something like that. Then you had yeah, a pretty active week. second weekend, and now you know you're getting ready for for another one and the amazing thing about it is is i think both kansas and kansas state probably have somewhere around the same number of spots left you know obviously kansas state has a small class at this point what do they have six or or um, seven right now ryan <laughs> Six or seven, yeah, yes, yeah, so, <laughs> somewhere, so, somewhere around there. But uh, but K State's probably going to take what four or five more guys. Wind up in that ten to twelve range, probably. And... Yeah, I
1: mean, I think I think it depends, but I would I don't see the high school class being any larger than like fifteen,
2: you know. And, and you know, Swain, this would be a question for you, but Kansas probably another five or so guys themselves, don't you think?
0: Probably, yeah. I think the class will probably be about sixteen. You know, which yeah. for KU, right, you got to look back the last couple of years. It's been smaller classes just with the amount of portal work they've had to do with the scholarship members and everything. So, yeah, it should be a bit of a bigger class in comparison.
2: Yeah. yeah. But so, yeah, we, so uh,
0: obviously, you know, this time we're going to focus on 2025. <laughs> um, I think, you know, this is something that I think going back to last fall. We had a pretty good idea that, hey, maybe the 2024 class might be, you know, what is considered to be a down year, even though I think we discussed last episode, right, that a down year in Kansas is now, okay, there's guys that can go to Oklahoma that could have offers to go to K-State, KU, can leave the region, right? But I think you really look forward to this next class and it's pretty loaded. Um, We can dive into some of the current rankings right now. These are moving, right? Still pretty fluid. Um, we can discuss who should be number one. But overall right now, kind of the, the top five in the state right now include Andrew Babaloa, a offensive tackle from Blue Valley Northwest. Jaden Woods, a defensive end from Mill Valley. Deson Brame, a tight end from Derby. Juju Marks, a defensive lineman from St. Th- Thomas Aquinas. We'll talk about Caden Butler later. But he's at Elite the North as of today, maybe not in the near future. And then if you take him out, then it's probably Bryson Hayes from Mays High School. So, overall, Kevin, let's start with you. Just broadly with this class, like, what do you see the potential of this being? You know, I think the 2023 class got a lot of buzz, right? With Avery Johnson, Dylan Edwards, high profile players, but it was a pretty deep class too. Do you see this class being similar to 2023, or do you see it being even better?
2: You know, I I think 2023 would probably have the edge uh, just in terms of uh, I think there are some really good players in the state. I don't know that. And and I would have Jaden Woods, number one. I'm sure we're going to to get into this discussion. But when you're comparing Jaden Woods to to Avery Johnson, I probably would like Avery Johnson a little bit better uh, than than Jaden Woods. And and I really like Jaden Woods. But I think you also had, like you said, just that spectacular depth in 2023. I think we wound up right around 30 players or so going FBS out of that class with Mm -hmm. this group. You know, I think you have a really strong, you're looking at the list there, but I think you have a really strong sort of 12 at this point, maybe 14 or so. And and so that list is going to continue to grow. And and I do think it's going to wind up somewhere, you know, north of 20, I do think it's going to be tough to get to 30, but it is similar, I think, to 2023 in that we've known about some of these guys for for a really long time, and that was very similar to the 2023 class. We knew Avery for a really long time. We knew Dylan Edwards for a really long time. A lot of those guys we were seeing as freshmen, early as sophomores in their respective class – and just to kind of contrast that to 2024, and I'm going to put Ryan on the spot right here, but uh, I think the three of us agree that Michael Boganowski is probably the number one in, in 2024. Ryan, how would you have Michael Boganowski slotted into this 2025 mm-hmm. class just sort of to to show the strength of this 2025 class?
1: Um, I mean, I think I, I love Boganowski's tape. Um, yeah. And so I think if you're looking at, uh, you know, upside and everything, I think probably Babalola and Woods would still be over him. If you, Again, if you're looking at the long-term trajectory and you're starting to think about who fits the NFL mold and that kind of thing, maybe you, you even slot a guy like Babalola over him. But I think if we're talking just complete picture player, how they fit in college right away, who can make a, a good impact, I think I'd go Woods one. Uh, Boganowski two, and Babalola, three.
2: And then if you're adding in, you know, Bram and Juju Marks, that would probably round out your top five if you're adding 2024 into that because I don't think the number two player in 2024 is above those other guys. So if you're making a top 25, you know, regardless of class, or a top five regardless of class, I think four of those guys would be 2025 guys at this point.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, Swain, to pitch it back to you, I think, you know, mm-hmm. John Price can make a case, I think, this fall yeah. as being a guy that would be good enough to be in the top five of 2025. And I think, again, if you're talking about long term potential and and height, weight, and everything like that with the guy like Babalola, you've got to do the same with Cade Matthew. And so maybe he would be sniffing the top five. But like Kevin said, I think as of now, they're the only bona fide guy that I could pull from 24 and say, yeah, he's solidly a top five guy in this coming class will be Michael Boganowski.
0: Yeah. And in I think, too, you have to, yeah, no, I I think I'd probably agree with that, but I think you gotta keep in mind too, right? These guys haven't even played their junior seasons yet. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'd be fascinated to see where these guys are this time next year when their recruitments are really kind of coming into focus because, I look at some of these guys and even maybe down the list that we'll talk about in another episode later in July. I just think that a lot of these guys, once they get that junior season tape out there, I think we'll see a lot of the talent and the high upside that I think this class has. And I think we can get into the one versus two debate now, because I think this is kind of an upside play, at least my understanding, right? (laughs) With Andrew Babalola being the number one player in the state. Um, ranked number 68 nationally. Like you're talking about a guy that widely is ranked very high. Now you got to keep in mind here that too, right? Hasn't played a bunch of, you know, high school football yet. And I think you look at Jaden Woods and what he's done at Mill Valley. He's the guy that's more proven at this point in time. But again, if you're talking long-term high ceiling, you it's hard to deny a guy with a six foot six frame, 270 pounds, and looks the way he does off the hoof and I think Jaden Woods right now for me would be the top player in the state this day, you know, Wednesday, June 21st. But again, I think sometimes these rankings are projecting long-term, right? Who has the most NFL upside? Who has the most, you know, college impact upside? And so I think that's probably the debate you're getting into here is probably who is the best player right now, Jaden Woods, versus who could be the best long-term prospect in Andrew Bablola. I mean, Kevin, do you agree with that assessment?
2: Yeah, I do. Um, and, and I, you know, I got to see Jaden Woods in person fairly early last year. I went to to one of the first games uh, that, that Mill Valley played. And, you know, it, it's kind of funny. I know all three of us have been to all star games and things like that. And so we don't just see the Kansas guys, we see the Kansas City guys, but also we've seen national guys, right? Like we've seen what a guy looks like that is going to go to Alabama or or Tennessee or Georgia or, or USC. And Jaden looks like that guy. He, he really does. He looks like an edge rusher is supposed to look. And and it's funny because, you know, obviously Ryan having the, uh, the K-State background and everything, his dad was Justin Woods, who was kind of this mighty might running back and the absolute fastest little, you know, dude in the state of Kansas, Jaden's not built like that. Jaden is much more of sort of your classic edge, you know, six foot three, maybe even six foot three plus, you know, 220, 230 pounds, can really get after the quarterback. And I thought last year too, when you saw him in person, he was still figuring things out. He was just a sophomore last year. And so he'd do something where he'd knock down the offensive lineman's arms and spin and get a sack and he'd stand up and... And kind of look around, like did did I just do? Did that happen? Like did did that work? And so I, I think you know, in addition to the athletic gifts, the fact I, I think all of us would admit Jaden's a great kid too, um, a really sweet kid. But in addition to to all of that and his background and everything, I do think that there's still some upside to tap into as he gets to be more comfortable as a pass rusher.
0: Yeah, Kevin, or Ryan, what's your take on, on Jaden? Have you been able to see him in person yet?
1: I have, yeah. Saw him at the in the state playoffs last year, state semifinals against Blue Valley Southwest. Um, I mean, to me, I'll just be blunt about it. He's the number one player in the state for 2025. And yeah. in my eyes, it's not really, it's not a question. Um, I give Andrew Babalolo a lot of credit, and I was really impressed with him. Uh, finally got to see him at K-State's elite offensive line, defensive line camp. Um, obviously he got earned the offer right after that Connor Riley was just had his eyes on him a lot and, uh, kind of watched that whole offer process unfold between Connor Riley and Taylor Brett and, and Chris Kleiman. Um, so that was kind of neat to watch. And, And again, you could sense that was coming by his performance, but in saying that you're talking about a kid that, you know, doesn't have any varsity highlight tape yet, um, was a basketball player up until what, you know less than a year ago i mean he's just now really focusing more of his time on on football and still kind of learning things versus a guy like Jaden woods that also isn't small <laughs> you know <what laughs> i mean it's not like we're talking about a babalola that's got all the height and weight against some you know mighty might right this is a 6'3 230 kid wrestles varsity tape for days as you know on the most powerful program in kansas at the 5a level uh two-time state champions um, I, I mentioned he's a wrestler. He's got the speed from his dad, but he's get, get size from somebody else. Um, <laughs> I mean, to, to send it back to you, Swain, let me put it this way. Like Jaden Woods, if we're talking about like, you know, if we're compiling guys over the last like five cycles, right. And putting together a top list, the only two guys that I can think of that would be ahead of Jaden Woods are like where I might need to think about it, Avery Johnson and Jaron Canick.
2: That's it. Mm.
1: period so like he's he's the real deal if you want him to be an outside linebacker that can cover in space I think over time he's going to learn how to be able to do that he's athletic enough if you want him to be a stand-up guy off the edge he can do that I think as his body grows and the the, uh, strength comes along uh, with the wrestling that he's doing in the winter I think in very short amount of time he's going to be hand in the ground edge if you need him to do that too he's sensational
0: yeah, I think right. I think the wingspan, Kevin, is something you mentioned to me after the first time you watched him. Right, he's got really, really long arms, and I think that's really helpful for someone that maybe isn't going to have the six foot five type of frame, but with a plus yeah. wingspan like that, I think he's a guy that can play with his hand in the dirt and a four man front. Um, I mean, guys, like you look at the offer list; it's pretty legit. <laughs> like you you're talking Alabama, you know, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Tennessee, USC, like offers from everywhere. And they really started to come in last year. And I just think he's the type of guy that, yeah, I agree. You look at what he is right now, being probably, one if you want to pick from any class, maybe the best player in Kansas, looking to what he can be in the future. I mean, he's just got all the upside in the world. And I'm fascinated to see, this is a recruitment that I'm fascinated to see unfold because I could see him leaving the region and going to a place like Alabama, if they end up pursuing him and making him a really big priority, I could see him going to a place maybe like Baylor down in Texas in terms of just a fit. And I could also see him staying maybe more even closer to home. I, I This recruitment is one that for me, like, I'm pumped to watch it unfold just because I don't think you really know what he's going to focus on as he really kind of gets into the recruiting as September comes and you got to keep in mind, right. That these guys can't be recruited fully by schools yet. That's not going to come until September 1st when the coaches can start to contact them. So when you talk recruiting for these guys right now, it's still very, very early, but I think for me, I just, I look at Jaden. and I say, this recruitment's one that I'm, I'm fascinated to watch um, either one of you can build off that, or we can go back to, to Babalola you pick.
2: Yeah. I, I think, you know, when talking about, Babolola versus versus Woods. I, I think, like Ryan was saying, you see the reason that that Babolola is ranked so highly when you see him. I mean, he's he's got a terrific frame. He looks like what an NFL offensive tackle looks like at Babalola's age. He's got the he's got the big hands. As Swain has pointed out, you know, the guy probably has trouble finding shoes because his feet, you know, are are so big. You know, and he's got the athleticism. I mean, we're not saying when we say, Hey, you know, he was a basketball player. We're not saying, Hey, this is a guy that messed around with his friends. He was a travel basketball player that that went around and, you know, and played it at a fairly high level. You know, I'm not saying that he was, Hey, you know, a division one guy or anything like that, but I mean, he was playing it at a fairly high level. And I think when you see him in, in person and Ryan did at camp and, and Swain and I did it at Kansas's camp, you can see the next steps for him to take, right? Because when he run blocks, you know, he has the quickness to get up underneath somebody. And then the strength just isn't quite there yet to take that guy and deposit him three yards downfield, four yards downfield. But when it comes, when that strength comes, when the technique comes too, and, and obviously, you know, the, the three of us all know Coach Ryder. He's a tremendous coach, and, and he's going to get him right in that respect. Uh, I think he is somebody that can take that leap, and he's somebody that people are going to offer you know, walking in the door because they're going to say, coming off the bench, that guy looks great, and they're going to see him move, and they're going to say, that guy looks great. But there are probably going to be some reps that are going to look a little rough for him this year. And I think if you wound up going to a camp setting right now and keep in mind, we're projecting these guys, you know, years down the road for college. If Andrew Babalola and Jaden Woods were to lock up right now at say K state camp or something like that, Babalola would be in a world of, of hurt. Jaden's yeah. he's, he's that much ahead of him right now, but Babalola has that ceiling there where as he continues to develop and everything else, they're college juniors and, and Babalola goes to – I'm just throwing a school out here. If Babalola goes to Tennessee and Jaden Woods goes to Alabama, there's a decent chance by the time they're both juniors that Babalola is is shutting Jaden Woods down. And I don't say that lightly because I, I think Woods is, is a guy that projects really well and, and is going to be a heck of a player. I'm just saying that's what Babalola's ceiling is if he's able to, uh, to make that move.
1: Uh, yeah, I think the ceiling is where we have his player rating now. Yeah. Here, I, I don't think any of us – it's not like we don't think that he can be a top 247 guy right now because projections-wise, I think he can be. But I think for fans that haven't seen Andrew Babalola, I, and, and I I think we would say the same if he was standing right here, and he would probably agree. Yep. that The idea of him being a top 70 player, certainly a top, like, we have him at number six, but flirting with the top five at his position just seems a little steep at the moment. Um, but then again, Swain, so getting back to the recruitment of both of these guys, I think it's going to be a major challenge for the, the two local schools that we cover. Right. Um, I think with K state, everybody wants to talk about the connection between Jaden and his father and his father signing with Ron Prince and then being at K state for a brief amount of time. And obviously Mill Valley, you know, sending Sam Hecht and Gus Hawkins um, to Kansas State that there might be some sort of edge. I I don't really sense it yet. I mean, it it might exist, but I I don't feel it yet. I think it's going to be an Avery Johnson type recruitment where they're going to have to K-State's really going to have to work their tails off for Jaden Woods. And with Andrew Babalola, you know, again, like Kevin said, I I think his recruitment is just beginning. There's going to be a lot of people that still haven't physically seen him. That they're going to mm-hmm. lock eyes on him and go, "We'll, we'll offer you right now." And uh, the one thing that I, I we all agree on, because we've heard it from Andrew himself, is academics are going to play a big priority with him. So you know, I, I think if the prestige is there, um, location won't matter um, as much to a guy like him. It's very reminiscent for me to a guy like Moody Arubin a couple years ago.
0: Yeah, mm. and, and I look at Andrew too, and look, I talked to him three hours ago. For an interview, just talking about everything. You know, he's pretty straightforward and said that, again, right, things are early, but that staying close to home is a little bit more important to him, but academics are equally important, right? His parents are Mm -hmm. huge on academics, right? He's going to go camp most likely at Wake Forest this weekend. Why? Because it's a really good school that equally has a good football program. And so, if a Stanford, for example, comes in and offers him, I could really see him taking that offer and fitting in there intellectually. Yeah. I think physically he could fit in the Pac 12 really well. I could also see a world in which if a Ivy or if a big time like a Notre Dame or a Stanford doesn't offer him, I could also see him staying somewhat closer in the region. Whereas I look at Woods and say, I think this is a guy that's SEC bound, just with health, just he's, the body. <laughs> yeah, right. You know like KU and K-State and you know other programs in the region can recruit him really hard and do their best, but I just look at him and say that's a guy that's going to go play in the south. That's going to go reframe his body and just become a big-time player. And that's perfectly fine. And I just think you look at the state, it's such a fa- fascinating dynamic there, but I think you look under those guys, right? And I think for me, you know Desan um Bram, is that right guys? I should have pronounce this at a time um from derby yeah right you know look at me um from derby i, I look at him and I, I think tight end wise it's such an interesting comp right we talked about gavin hoffman last week and how he's very much a receiver playing tight end i look at just at 6'6 six, six, they say 225 he looks bigger than that and i think he's the type of guy that could be more of a a versatile blocking tight end you know ryan you got your thumbs up for the weight most likely what do you think about
1: him yeah that's exactly what i was going to say is that we we have him at 225 i would be curious um when we saw him at the uc report camp back in april he looked every bit of about 240 um and and yeah i mean he he has the when you look at his tape when you see the body i'm thinking yeah he could be a tight end but he could maybe be a tackle (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and maybe that's I i think where some of the some of the offers where some of the uh, the star rankings and stuff are are coming as I, I think he could be a tight end. He very well could, but I think there's some projections with him that, um, you know, maybe his body develops even, even greater than that. And obviously with Dasan, um, for those that don't know uh, another one that the K state message boards are all about right now, because, uh, you've got dad who was a former linebacker at Kansas state in the late nineties, uh, and then you've got mom that was a Kansas State women's basketball player around the same time. So uh, huge connections to K-State. I think with him, it's, it's a stronger connection, right? Uh, a more maybe emotional and, and historical connection for him than like a Jaden Woods. Um, but this is a fascinating recruitment for me, Kevin, because again, of the, of the position. And to see, is he going to truly develop into a more well-rounded tight end? Or does that blocking, uh, you know, forte that he, he's so well at right now come and, and guide him more towards an offensive line
2: route? Yeah, it's interesting. I I don't want to put this at, at Swain's feet this way because I could be wrong that it was him. But somebody pointed out at UC report, they said he even stands like an offensive tackle, mm-hmm. like, like his posture and everything, like when he's standing around. Was that you, Swain, that said that? I
0: don't think so. If you turn it I, out I'm, not, off, I'm, I'm not trying to bad. get you in
2: trouble or anything like that. I just somebody had pointed it out and I was around Swain for a lot of the camp, so it seemed like a, a safe bet. But no, it, it's interesting too because guys, we've talked about with Gavin Hoffman specifically how Gavin is a really good player. He's a little bit different archetype as a tight end than maybe what Kansas and Kansas State want. Deson Brame, that kid is what KU and K-State want at tight end because he's a guy that's going to put his hand in the dirt. He's going to be able to drive guys in the running game. And so if he does stick at tight end, he's going to be the kind of tight end that both of these schools really want and, and are really attracted to. When you look at, at Carson Brune, for instance, in in Kansas yep. class in 2024, a lot of the skills that Brune has, uh, I think Dasan is going to have, and Dasan's going to be bigger, I think, than Brune at the same point. And so, you know, and, and Brune was the guy I, I bring up because not only did KU get it, but K-State offered. And so there was interest from from both sides in that kind of guy. And, you know, Swain, I don't know if you agree with this, but I, I really see Brain being the type of tight end that KU would really want and, and want to go after based on that skill set. And I think if it's the type of guy that KU is attracted to at tight end, It's the type of guy that K-State's attracted to at tight end right now.
0: Yeah, I agree, right? I love the Carson-Bruin comparison, right? I think it's very, very similar. Very big lower half, still got some good size in the upper half and length. But I I like what he showed at the UC report camp. I think still probably has to get a little more polished as a receiver if he is going to be a tight end in, in the long, long term. And I'm just very interested to see as the recruiting process heats up for him, what are the schools seeing? Because right now, you're probably not even getting into that conversation yet with him. If you're a school, right, you're probably not talking to him about, hey, we see you as a tackle. We see you as a tight end. We see you as this, that, and the other thing. That probably comes, you know, maybe as game day visits come in, as the junior days come in. So I feel like we're a while away from maybe figuring out what exactly his position is. And I look at him and say, this season at Derby, what does he showcase, right? Because I think you look at his yeah. tape, and it is a lot of blocking, right? Is he going to be featured as a pass catcher? If so, then maybe that changes the way programs view him. If he's going to be a, a guy that's run blocking a lot more, then maybe that also changes the perspective. So I think he's one that you look at. You know, I'm interested in recruitments of the other guys. I think the position for him is fascinating and how he's going to be used at Derby this year because I, I think he can be a um, – a versatile weapon for you at tight end. But again, with Derby, just the the way the offense works, I'm just interested to see how they use him. Yeah.
2: I think there are going to be a lot of people when he makes a, uh, an unofficial visit, they do the whole coach, you know, shoulder grab. Hey there, buddy, (laughs) where you kind of feel, feel up the biceps and the shoulders and be like, all right, how much weight can this guy put on? You know, the, the greeting that is actually a lot more than a greeting for, for these coaches. But no, and that's a good point in terms of how Derby is going to utilize him. And when you look at at Derby, you know, having a, a quarterback who's you know Coach Clark's son, he he he's a good athlete, a good runner. Uh, he can throw the ball down the field a little bit. I think you know maybe maybe not as polished as some other guys, but maybe it gives Desan a chance to to get downfield into the seams a little bit you know, stretch the defense and, and give him a chance to to show what he can do there.
1: No more Dylan Edwards. So this yeah. would be this would be a great coming out party.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think they're gonna throw that- the ball maybe a little bit more to Derek Hubbard too, because I think mm-hmm. Hubbard is maybe a little bit more natural receiver at that running back spot than than Dylan was. And Dylan got a lot better. Dylan worked at it to get a lot better as a receiver, but it feels like we've seen Hubbard now for three or four years too and And he's a kid that might as well be a wide receiver for how well he catches the ball, I
0: think. Mm. Mm. And look, guys, I mean, we're talking a lot about frames here. And I I must say, right, you look at the overall class and, like, there's just guys with really good natural frames to play college in the trenches in college, right? It's not a bunch of skill guys. You know, it's a lot of guys with really good frames. See, (laughs) and ready? And this is why I bring up Juju Marks, because he's got a great frame. Six foot seven, two sixty listed. Again, interested to see where he's at there. You mentioned Babalola playing the grassroots basketball. Well, Juju's on his team. Like yep. these two guys are playing for KC Run GMC, and they're going to start doing tournaments in July. And Juju's the same sort of deal. He plays defensive line right now, defensive tackle mostly. Positionally, I'm interested to see where he goes long term. I think the three of us have discussed. Hey, maybe offensive tackle. But again, does he want to play offensive tackle? I think right now he wants to play defensive tackle. And I think the question is all right, he's got the six foot seven size. What does the motor look like? Uh, can he be dominant? And so I think, again, progression, right? These guys are just about to play their junior seasons, right? Two more full seasons of high school football to go before you get really the complete evaluation. But for me, like, I look at him, the size, the frame. It's exactly what you want in a guy that's going to play in the trenches. I think it's just a question of where exactly does he kind of fit in there.
2: Yeah, yep. I, think that's, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned the, the progression. Um, and then I'll, I'll throw it to Ryan real quick. When we saw him at UC Report, I, I went into that thing thinking Juju's an offensive tackle. I mean, he mm. looks like he's got the length. He's got the lower body that you typically see from an offensive tackle who's going to continue to add weight. And then I was standing right next to Ryan and he took one of his pass rush reps and he came off the ball really low and hard. He used his hands well. And it was like, well, maybe not, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, talking, uh, talking about that progression, you know, it's easy to forget sometimes that he just finished up his sophomore year of high school. And he's going to put a lot of that stuff together at, at a higher level, do it more consistently But that was one of the times where I thought maybe this kid, if he really focuses himself, you know, he can play on the defensive line and that could be something. Ryan, you know, I know we saw him in person against Lewisburg. Um, Stands out physically, obviously. He comes out on the field, you know, even somebody who doesn't know who he is, they're going to say, okay, who is that guy? But what were your thoughts when we saw him for the first time and, and kind of where do you see him going?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see, I think moving forward and Lewisburg that they're, they're fighters, man. You know what yeah. I mean? My, my parents live in Lewisburg. So uh, this is no disrespect to Lewisburg, but uh, Juju marks against Lewisburg just isn't fair. I mean, he's, he's every bit of six, seven um, easily pushing two sixty. The there, there are strong correlations for me to like BJ Kennedy here in a lot of ways. Mm. Right. Um, because there's the size, but also as as we've kind of been talking to uh, talking about and alluding to, there's this there's the position quandary of like yeah. you know I think BJ sees himself as a defensive end. I think Juju sees himself kind of in a similar role. Maybe is a little bit more open to playing inside than what we assume BJ is. But is Juju like an offensive tackle? You know, and and does does he have the twitch you know and speed to play on, on the outside? I think that was one of the things for me with Juju was as a, with the basketball background, I, I expected maybe a little bit more twitch, a little bit more um, burst, but at the same time I expected less from everything that Kevin was speaking about. So on that turn in that front, as far as, you know, the bend and, and the way that he's getting up under guys and understanding leverage and stuff, I thought Juju was further along than I expected him to be. So. Um, he's, he's the real deal. I I think he's one of these guys. And we talked about it a little bit in the last show with 2024 of guys that, you know, might have a little bit more in the tank, right. That we just haven't gotten a chance to really see yet. I think Juju could be one of those guys that like, you know, we, we have him hanging around four, you know, maybe he even slips to five if some other guys come up. Um, but there, there could be more in the tank there. The upside, the upside is there. It just could be Dependent on, as we've talked, uh, talked about, Swain, position and then team fit, you know?
0: Exactly. And I think for me, like, this, he's one of the guys I'm really interested to go out and see in person in the fall because I, you look at him and, right, when he's on, he's on. Um, mm-hmm. It's just consistency, right? I think and that's probably the case with a lot of these guys, right? You think about growing as a human, right? You're just, like, you're halfway through high school. So I'm interested to see, like – does he have the mental edge of I am better than you? I'm going to dominate you now for the next 50 snaps throughout the course of a game. Does he have kind of that edge to him? Because you talk to him, right? Kind of a little bit quiet, um, soft spoken, maybe a little bit, seems like a really great human being, really great human beings. Don't always make really good defensive linemen. <laughs> and so I think you, there's just gotta be a little bit of angry there. And I'm interested to see if that comes and if develops the confidence The just the self-belief and showing that on the field. I think those are some things that I think for me and and Juju, I'm really excited to see because I think the talent there is incredible, right? Just the size, the frame, the ability, um, the basketball background, helping with that athletic ability too. And it's just now going to come down to consistency. Um, Do either of you have any final thoughts on Juju before we move down the list?
2: I would just say – look at the kids recruiting lists too. I mean, USC comes into Kansas to offer him, you know, he, he's got the, the Auburn offer. Some of the other sec schools are, are kicking him around. I think Tennessee offered, uh, if I remember right. And so mm-hmm. again, these are guys that haven't played their junior year. I get that we keep saying that it's a broken record, <laughs> but with, but with, with Juju, I mean, it's not like a lot of these schools, Often come into Kansas and offer guys who are this young, and I think that that's uh, that's really an indication of where some of these guys are are heading. and it's going to be it's going to be interesting because this could be a class that winds up with four or five, you know, four star type guys who who are all national recruits, and and that makes it uh, the flip side of that is that it makes it really tough on Kansas and Kansas State to to keep these guys home when they have those kinds of options.
0: Exactly. And Kevin, you mentioned the offer list here. I'll run through a few for Juju, right? So he's got Auburn, Michigan, Oklahoma, Oregon, Penn state, Tennessee, USC, Washington. And that's yep. a third of the schools he has. So another guy whose offer list is quite extensive. Um, you know, you on the top of offer lists, Caden Butler, um, who right now is at the North? Ryan, I'll throw it to you here in a second. He's got the offer list of a guy who is uh, a West Coast recruit. Um, no offers from either KU or K State, but offers from Arizona, um, Colorado, Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State. Ryan, what's going on here?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think there there might be some smoke here, um, and that's because. Caden Butler, let's just be honest, this is probably the the last time we'll talk about him on this show. Um, it, it came out like earlier this month, a, a rumor started to swirl around, and so I'd seen Caden on a couple different camps, and so I just straight up reached out to him, and he's been very honest and forward with me um, in saying that, yeah, he's, he's planning to move on from Olathe North, um, and there for a while, I thought he might stay in the region. There was some flirtation with some other schools, but uh, as we kind of get into the last couple weeks of this month, um, it sounds like he's destined for more of a Pac-12 scenery. Um, to be more specific, state of California, probably SoCal. Um, I think he's going to go out there um, either this week or next and uh, see some, some high school campuses out there and, and go ahead and make the move. So it's a shame for, I think, both KU and K-State because this is a guy that I think fits that both offense's Um, I think Mm -hmm. he's really crafty receiver. Right. And, and again, we've talked already about in this episode about guys that, you know, are are still kind of finding themselves and finding their bodies and everything. Caden is very much in, in that group. Um, and, and he's also got ties to both Lawrence and Manhattan. (laughs) Um, I think his dad for a a period of time was a teacher in, in the Lawrence area. Um, and then at the same time was, uh, has a history, for a year or two working in the K-State athletic department um, back in kind of the John Curry days. And no, he was not a John Curry guy. Let's get that, you know, before I get crucified, like, well, we don't want him anyway because he was a John Curry guy. No, he was, you know, he, he wasn't, you know, Curry's right-hand man. He just worked in the athletic department at the same time. But anyway, again, just getting back to it, um, kind of a shame, I think, for local recruiting, um, not just for K-State and KU, like I said, but for us to cover him. Cause I think he was a, uh, uh, a no doubt kind of top eight he's in the top five right now he would be a guy that we would talk about over the course of the next two years but uh don't expect to to see him at Olathe North um this fall or beyond
0: yeah he was someone that really stood out at the UC report came too. You know, One of those guys that just kept getting open, kept making plays. So I'm fascinated to see where he ends up going because I, I think he is a really talented player. But that will do it for us, at least discussing, I, I think, kind of the top four, five-ish guys right now. We'll do another podcast in July where we discuss a lot more of the camps and some of the guys that have really stood out to us during some of these camps where Kevin and I have been there in person. Ryan's been to Manhattan in person to see some more of these guys that are really starting to catch on we'll do a podcast really focusing on them, diving into them a little bit later in the summer. Now I want to end with the question. We did that last time. I thought it had a really good discussion. Um, Ryan sent this to us. It comes from the K-State message board. And I think it's a a question, I I think if you cover recruiting locally or just cover recruiting period, you get this question a lot. It's are Kansas and Kansas State too slow to offer local recruits? Ryan, I'll toss this ball to your court and you can take it where you want to go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I mean, it's a loaded one and I think it, yeah. it does vary. It varies through each process, but, you know, by and large, it's 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 hard. I think early on in, in the Chris Kleiman era, I would say, yeah, like undoubtedly, yes, they're too slow. Um, I think as history has gone on over the course of the last couple of years, they're, they're, they've adapted, they, they've figured some things out. And I think it's more of a case-by-case basis now. Um, there are times, you know, Gavin Hoffman, where you're going, you know, why haven't they offered? Like, what more do you need to see? Um, mm-hmm. And then there are other times that they're, like, first in line, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, I think Boganowski was super early. You know, they hesitated 0.0 with a guy like Jaron Um, But, you know, again, like, even Avery Johnson was a guy that they were, like, what? for something I mean TCU was in there early um, and, and he had a couple others that you were you know you you expect K-State for a guy like that to be number one um, and so sometimes they just aren't I think the the thing that's a little bothersome from sitting in my chair you know and again I think if, if Chris Kleinman was here he'd go well, I'm not concerned and he shouldn't be <laughs> about what I have to say but at the same time it you know it's they, they love the eye test, right? You know, they want to see you at camp because they want to see if you pass the eye test. Um, it's not just one coach going out and seeing a kid and then coming back and reporting it. They, they kind of want to put multiple eyes on a kid. They want to see how you can be coached, you know um, how you take to the coaching. They want to see you, you know, the hustle and drills to and from, there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, and I think sometimes they, you just can't afford to, to, to give players that kind of time. Um, I, I think Iowa does a tremendous job in their state of, you know, identifying who they really need to get in on now and who maybe they can afford to wait on. I think K state does that sometimes. And sometimes it's correct, you know, and sometimes maybe you're going, yeah, this is probably not the type of guy that you want to hold off on. So case by case, um, at the same time, I think the other thing that I would say is I toss it to you, Kevin, because I'm curious your comments here. Again, if Taylor Bratt was sitting right here, I can hear him in my ear right now. And he's, <laughs> he's, he's right, though, is that I think K-State has gotten they've – they've been the local school that always takes the local guy. They can't take every single local player. It just isn't a fit or it doesn't work out or they don't have the room. So, unfortunately, K-State gets hammered. Because any local kid that they don't offer or that they don't get, it's on them. And the finger gets pointed at them um, a lot Mm -hmm. of times unfairly. So that's the other thing that I would say is, yeah, you want them to be quick to offer. But also there are times when they just can't offer every
2: Kansas kid. Yeah, I think, you know, you and I talked about it when uh, Lance Leipold was hired. And we were talking about can Kansas sort of make headway? Within the state, and one of the things that we had said was, yeah, because they're starting from ground zero, where so many of these Kansas coaches are used to Kansas not offering their kids, and so if they came in and they were just more active than less miles, if they were more active than David Beatty and some of these some of these guys, you know, if they recruited, and I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus or anything like that, if they recruited. Brees Hall or you know Isaiah Loudermilk harder, then they were going to get more benefit of the doubt at Case State because they've taken so many in-state guys. When they don't, the coaches ask, "Well, why not? You know, why why are you not taking my kid? He's good enough, or, or whatever else." And, and I think one of the interesting things about this question in general is when you're recruiting in-state and there's schools that you want to continue to form a relationship with, sometimes you can't jump out there as quickly as maybe you would like to. And the, the guy that I'll bring up is actually Andrew Babalola. You know, he's a guy that other schools can walk into Blue Valley Northwest, see this really good looking guy over here and offer him saying, hey, if he turns out to be an NFL caliber guy, we offered him and we got in early. If he's not, we, we can walk away. And there's no recourse to that. If Kansas or Kansas State goes in without having seen Babalola play football, they offer the kid, he winds up not being very good at football. They can't walk away from that kid as easily. There are relationships there to consider. There's the fact that Kansas coaches, I don't want to say they're like one big family, but they talk. And so if you do a coach dirty or if he perceives you, is doing him dirty you're not just harming yourself at that school you're harming yourself at at other schools as well and so there are some schools and and some players where you do need to almost be careful how quickly you come out the one other thing that i'll add and i i think it's a good segue into swain's thoughts about this i think it looks a little bit worse when another school that has a relationship with a lot of these places and is going to continue to come in. And I'm speaking specifically about Iowa State. When Iowa State comes in and they are first for Kansas players that they are not going to walk away from. And shout out Nathan Shielhouse. I mean, he does amazing, <laughs> that, that guy does an amazing job, you know, and all of those things, but you know, that's not, a random school walking in and offering somebody. Nate Shielhouse is going to continue to recruit the state of Kansas. They're going to have those similar relationships and things like that. When Iowa state is beating people to Sam Same when they're beating people to different guys like that and being the first offer out for guys like that, I do think that that's maybe where it reflects a, a little bit more poorly because from a regional standpoint, from a relationship standpoint, you could say that Iowa State is in a very similar spot in terms of also needing to maintain and keep those relationships with those coaches.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot I can dive into. So I think I think Sam Smae is a really good example. Um, Kay was second in terms of offer for him, right? And it wasn't even – I think maybe it was a February offer for Iowa State where they offered him after seeing him in school. And then halfway through his season – Okay, you offered him. I look at Iowa State, and your point's very fair, Kevin. But I'd also point maybe to like Trey Ridley. They're the first to offer him. And then they kind of just like, as time goes on, they kind of just like, oh, maybe not. But they can do that. Yeah. Because again, they're not an yeah. school. It's a lot easier, right? And I think also rapport is a big thing where Iowa State has the rapport of coming in and being early and recruiting guys hard and having it happen that way. Same thing with K state. And I think for KU now it's kind of trying to shift that. And I will say, I think this staff Lance Leipold staff have done a good job of that. You want to go to the 2023 class, right? Well, they were early offer for some, they recruited the heck out of them. They recruited the heck out of Joe odd they recruited the heck out of Calvin Clements. You look to this 2024 class they were early offer for Caden Massey, early offer for Michael Boganowski, early for John Price, early for B.J. Kennedy. And now you look at, okay, you're getting down to the list now where guys they haven't offered. Well, they had a chance to offer Gus Hawkins. Um, they had first crack at him. He was they've he visited them first. They didn't offer. K-State offers. Gus Hawkins takes that offer. Okay. Well, you look at Gavin Hoffman. We talked about him last week. He's a guy that you look at and say, well, K, already has a tight end, and they're not going to budge from their numbers, so they're not going to offer him. Brett Carroll, probably out of this class, is the biggest one you can say. Why hasn't KU offered him? We discussed him slightly. I think that's one you maybe can have an issue with. But then you go to the next class in 2025. KU was the first offer for Juju Marks. KU was in early for DeSan Brain. Jaden Woods they were the first offer for. And then you go to Andrew Bablola, and it's a case where I don't think Kansas wants to set the precedent of offering kid who doesn't have tape. Yep, Same for
2: K-State. I I mean, you can see that, yeah.
0: Right? That's a fair argument. They don't want to yeah. offer a kid that doesn't have tape if he's in state. It's just a bad yeah. luck. Cause then guess what happens? You mentioned everyone else talking. All the other high school coaches know that. They know that one of the in-state schools just offered a kid who doesn't have tape. So then why won't they offer the kid at their school who doesn't have tape yet but has the measurables? Right. So I think you look at the the two in-state programs, I think there's improvement, especially from Kansas, like recruiting. Like they went from zero to now, I think doing a good job. <laughs> Right. They couldn't be worse than Les Miles or David Beatty or any one of the past coaches. But I think that maybe over time the narrative will shift. I don't know. I don't like I'm not a fan, so I don't really create the narrative here in terms of like asking the question. But I think it is a fair question going back in time, especially for Kansas. Right. You know, just why haven't you offered? Why do you offer not recruit? Or now I think there's more precedent for this Leipold staff, at least of. Offering kids, recruiting the heck out of them. And if they don't want to go to Kansas, that's perfectly fine. Some people just don't want to go to Kansas, and that's totally normal, right? Just like with K-State. And so I think it's one of these questions now where you look at it being in state. It's easier for out-of-state schools to come in, offer a guy, kind of recruit him, and then see how it goes. KU and K-State, if they offer a local guy, they have to recruit him. And so I think there's a necessary reservations there.
1: Yep. Yep. I think Babalola is going to be the fascinating one. I think that's because I'm with you. I I sat there and and defended K-State on why they didn't offer, because, you know, if you go to his huddle film right now, there isn't any, it's him in camps. It's him at practice. Like there's no varsity tape of the kid. And so you get it, but I think where fans kind of have a head scratching moment. And I think even some of us at times is okay. You know, let me go to his list. So Andrew Babalola, gets KU and K-State offers on June 12th and June 14th. That's after Miami, Tulsa, Missouri, Nebraska, Minnesota, and Iowa State was April 8th. So there's, what, almost two months between them for an in-state kid. And so, again, you understand why Babalolo didn't get the offer. But then the head-scratcher becomes – but K-State was like number one and number three – Uh, by a a handful of days for a guy like Caden Massey and a guy like Grant Bricks. Caden Massey, an eight-man player who might have had tape, but it's eight-man. Same kind of like measurables, like long-term trajectory. Grant Bricks, Mm. 1,400-person town in Iowa Class A. And so I think that's where fans are kind of like, so we'll offer these guys first, Mm. but we need to wait and see Andrew Bavolola. So it, it's a tough position. Like, I don't envy KU or K-State. This is a very tough state to, like, you know, be in that predicament with. Because, like you said, Swaim, if, if you offer an in-state kid, you got to recruit them, and it's got to be a committable offer or else it's going to get twisted real bad. So uh, a lot of times mm-hmm. it is kind of safer to hold off. But at the same time, I think consistency would help answer a lot of the problems and, or questions that, that our fan bases both have.
0: I agree, Kevin. Any last thoughts on this subject?
2: No, no. I I think that uh, I think we we hit it pretty well, and I do think Kansas has improved significantly from from where it was, and there there really wasn't a whole lot of direction to go but up. And, and I think, quite frankly, when Leipold first took over, um, Kansas didn't look great in state, you know, and, and you know there were people questioning, well. Is the Leipold staff going to value in-state? Are they going to be like every other staff, whatever else? And I, I think that they've done a really good job of of kind of clearing that hurdle now to where, you know, it, it's a viable offer for, for in-state schools. Like, like I said before, I think it's, I think Kansas State has some real challenges in that area. I think uh, Ryan, you know, and, and I could tell you, a story about Kansas state recruiting two defensive tackles from the state of Kansas, and they could only take one. And Kansas didn't offer either guy. Kansas got off scot-free. Kansas state takes one of the two and gets chewed out by the coach of the other guy, even though KU didn't offer right guy or the other guy either. And so Kansas state has some different challenges there but i do think that uh, i do think that both staffs do a do a pretty good job. Oh, Ryan's got a point. Ryan's got a point. I have my hand raised. And it's we're, right. already,
1: we're 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 close to pushing an hour and i, I don't need any in-depth. We can get into this later on in the summer. But okay. you brought it up. And so i'm going to put you guys on the spot. Uh-oh. in a Second. I think 2023 the Leipold staff was so fresh. They kind of got a pass, right? Yeah. Quick and again, we'll we'll get into it deeper, i'm sure. How big is 2025 for them to really assert themselves, though, locally? And I mean not like get a couple guys. I mean like nabbing maybe one of the guys that we talked about.
0: Yeah, I think it's big. And I think they need a really strong season this year, right? I think winning cures all. And I've had this conversation with other people before, but basically we're at the age now where all these guys right now grew up with Kansas being awful. And it's hard to go against that. Right. It's hard to go against that. So I think another winning season for Kansas this year, six and six, seven and five. Um, it's needed to take that step forward, I think, with this next class. And I think we'll dive into more names, probably like you mentioned on a later podcast. But I think this cycle's huge. I think it's huge. They need to win games this fall. And if they do win games this fall, I think they'll be in some of those recruitments. But again, it really starts with winning football games.
2: Yeah, and I think the other thing they have to do is even for the guys that they don't get, like let's just go ahead and say, you know, Swain said he thinks Jaden Woods will wind up playing in the SEC. I think you still need to put in the work and, and do well there in today's transfer portal era and all of those mm-hmm. things too because I, I think you you still need to sort of hold your spot in line, you know, just in case. right? You know, you, right. you look at, you know, A guy like Juju Marks, if he winds up leaving the state and going somewhere, I'm not saying Juju's not going to succeed, but for whatever reason, if he says, hey, this ain't it, and he wants to come back home, you want to put yourself in spot with those guys. So it's not just about Calvin Clements. It's it's not just about winning the initial recruitment anymore. I I think it's about putting yourself in that spot. and, And, you know, not to belabor the point too much, but we had talked about. You know, Jaron Kannek. I feel like Kansas didn't really put itself into a spot where if Oklahoma didn't work out, that Kansas was going to be a real option for mm-hmm. Jaron Kanick. Kansas State did, and it's not going to matter now because Jaron Kanick is is going to be a starting linebacker at Oklahoma, and he's doing great, and you know that's fantastic for him and and everything. But at the same time, I do think that that part is is also going to be important, not just winning the recruitments initially. But also putting yourself into a strong position where, hey, if a guy uh, if a guy winds up transferring, he's uh, you're you're a legitimate option for him.
1: Under an hour, Swain. Look at that. Boom. <laughs> Waving the white flag. <laughs> yeah, there you <laughs> go. Uh,
0: That'll done. do it. That'll do it for us here. Episode two of the Sunflower States Recruiting Podcast. Um, Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. If you're watching this on the YouTube channel, please like and subscribe to the channel. We'll do this another episode here in a week or two, and we'll dive more into in depth into some more of the names. Because, guys, I mean, there is a laundry list of guys we can talk about now which I think is pretty exciting for this show. So excited to keep it rolling for Ryan Wallace and Kevin Flaherty. I'm Michael Swain. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.